you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. This is Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the big show, my family and friends. We certainly appreciate you guys being here. As always, without you, what would we have to do all day long? We just, uh, I don't know, we just work, do gardening or something. I don't know. We just sit around and, like, look at plants as things. Which, you know, that's not a bad thing, but you don't want to do it all the time. You actually want to have a job, eh? So uh, thank you for tuning in the show. We really appreciate you guys. Hey, 14 years and 1,400 episodes. What more do you want from us, people? We're putting two to three uh, podcasts out a day, or weekday, that is. So if you're not tuning into the amazing content, authors, brilliant minds that we have on the show, and none of them are me, uh, but the guests are here, uh, then you need to do more of it, whatever it is you're doing. So there you go. Uh, refer this to your family, friends, and relatives. Go to goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, LinkedIn.com, Fortress Chris Foss, the LinkedIn newsletter. And I think we're starting to get cool on TikTok. I'm not sure. It's, we're starting to get cool, or maybe they're just pity likes. I don't know. Could be that too. Uh, we have an amazing author on the show. She's a brilliant mind who comes to us with her newest book that's coming out August 8th, 20. 23. Manisha Thacker is on the show with us today. She's the author of the newest book to come out, Money Zen, The Secret to Finding Your Enough. She's on the show with us today, and she's got a hell of a resume. Let me tell you, she has worked in the financial services for over 30 years with an emphasis in women's economic empowerment and financial well-being. She's a nationally recognized thought leader in the space. She's been featured in a wide range of publications, including the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, NPR, PBS, CNN, CNBC, Real Simple, and Women's Health. Prior to writing Money Zen, she co-authored two personal finance books for women in their 20s and 30s. Today, her work focuses on helping individuals of all ages to balance financial health and emotional wealth. She earned her MBA from Harvard Business School, her BA from uh, Wesley Wellesley's College. And is Wellesley. A, Wellesley College, you can tell I flunked second grade, and is both a chartered financial analyst, CFA, and certified uh, financial planner, a CFP. She splits her time between Portland, Oregon, and rural Maine. Boy, that's a, just beautiful uh, beach vistas on both those continents. Both those continents? Which continents <laughs> are those? Sides of the like, continent. It feels like continents when you fly back and forth between them. I've heard that about Portland. Anyway, uh, her website, uh, we'll, we'll get to her website here in a second. I'll let her throw that out. Welcome to the show. How are you, Manisha? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, Chris. There you go. Thanks for coming. Give us your .com so you can uh, tell everybody where to go to find out more about you on the interwebs. It is moneyzen.com. And please come visit. There you go. And so what motivated you want to write this book? You know, I realized on the cusp of turning 50 that I had spent virtually my entire life on a 24-7 hamster wheel of hustle culture. And I felt like I had literally missed 
living for the past couple of decades. And I wanted to figure out how that happened um, mm -hmm. and how to prevent it going forward. Um, and as I did that research, I thought, oh my God, I've got to share this with people. Now, what's this living you speak of? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never heard of it. I've we're been on that world? same hamster wheel. It, I feel like we're in a world of human doings, not human beings. Mm. Mm. There you go. Never mind. There's a magnesium joke in there somewhere. Um, so uh, you've written this latest book. This is in your first book. And Money Zen, why did you pick that title? So I wanted people to feel calm and confidence and clarity about their relationship with money. And one of the things that I've noticed over the years, Chris, is that I've spent a lot of time teaching and helping people understand the financial logistics. But what I missed was that until people have made peace with their relationship with money, what they feel is enough in terms of money and what it often represents, i.e. success, um, your identity, status in the world, oftentimes it's really hard like, to put through the mechanical steps or you do it and it's boring, but it doesn't bring you joy. Mm -hmm. and, and joy is kind of important. I don't know what it is. Uh, I always hear about it, read about it in books like yours. Uh, uh, do we need to try and, are, are we trying to establish a money life balance maybe or work money life balance uh what are we trying to establish here you know not so much a balance as um let's say a uh finish line after which you can go get a cold drink and relax oh. um that isn't constantly moving forward mm. and what i mean by that is I feel like balance is a ridiculous world, uh, particularly in the uh, word, particularly in the, the post-COVID universe, because for most of us, even those who aren't workaholics, our personal lives and our work lives have blended together so much. Mm -hmm. And so it's more about understanding what is enough for you in a, a variety of different ways. One certainly is what's enough money um mm. in order for you to be able to feel safe but then move on to actually live your life but another is around what is enough um effort to be putting in work what what are what are enough promotions what are enough accolades and those may change o over times mm -hmm. um but I, it's this broader concept of having a floor of enough um so you feel comfortable and and um and again i use that analogy of the finish line one that is not constantly moving forward and i can say more about more <laughs> if you'd like to, to talk about that please do please do let's get into it all right so one of the things that my research indicated is that we have literally as a society basically come to believe that the answer to almost anything that ails us is more. Um, you're not satisfied with the things you are able to buy. Well, you need to earn more money. 
um, you are, you don't feel good about yourself. Well, then you need to, um, achieve another promotion or, mm. um, set some other, get a bigger title. Um, you are bored, go shopping, get more stuff. Um, and so we are so focused on more and, and collecting. And I don't just mean tangible items that we have. Uh, it's like we're hoarders and we can't peel away and see what is at the essence of what would actually make us happy in living our life. There you go. I, or hoarders. I, I, sometimes I refer to us as consumer locus. I like, like that. Yeah. We're just like consuming everything. And there, there was a point where, um, I, 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 when I, when I got very successful, I started going and I, you know, I was buying stuff for the house, the new house and all that kind of crap. And I got in like this addiction cycle or some sort of emotional cycle where I felt like I needed to go to the mall and buy stuff every weekend or else I, I felt really insecure about it. And I was like, but I got to go buy stuff and I got to fill the house. And you know, when you, you buy a house and you're like, yeah, no, now you got to put shit in it. It's kind of like that old line. It's kind of like that old bit from George Carlin about how once you get shit, you need more shit to put your shit in. And then you got to buy shit to store your shit, which is more shit. You know what I mean? And, I uh, certainly do. <laughs> and then, you know, and then when you travel, you got to take your shit with you. So, you know, it's a whole, it's all Carlin bit. And, and so you talk about in your book, how to manage this better. I think there's something you, uh, one of the concepts you lead off on is, um, there a famous study and where there's a person that if they hit an annual income of 75,000, any earnings above that have no bearing on life satisfaction. What's that about? Yeah. So, I mean, that study has been cited for like, I don't know, the last 15 years. And, you know, usually people roll their eyes at that, especially if they live on the East or West Coast where the cost of living is through the roof. Yeah. Um, but just generally speaking, a lot of people think like, well, are you kidding? That's not enough. And some recent research that just came out of a joint team from Princeton and um, University of Pennsylvania found that that study was invalid, but not for the reason people think it is hmm. it's it's because if you lack well-being emotional well-being or oh. feeling emotionally wealthy you've got that foundation in your life more money above that threshold um does not increase your life satisfaction hmm. so it, it you literally need to establish well-being in your life before these other things can start actually increasing life satisfaction. And that's why so many people find, you know, you buy the McMansion, you buy the fancy car, or you lease the fancy car and you, you go, you know, you get the country club membership and the fancy clothes and you're still not happy. Yeah. Plus you're a lot of debt too. <laughs> exactly. You put that kind of crap on their credit cards. Well, and you know what? I, Chris, let me just say something about the, the credit cards because you bring up a really good point with that. So you might ask, like, you know, has this problem been going on forever? Um, you know, I think humans have always wanted to have some, you know, a, a sense of, of being and we're a little bit competitive, a sense of status. But for years, we were financially constrained in our ability to do that because it was not easy to get credit. And over mm. the last 30 years, 
um, there has been a flood of ways, right? So now, you know, it, when uh, I'm, I'm 53 and when my parents went to go get a credit card, you know, they had to go to the bank and they had to talk to a loan officer and they had to, you know, explain um, what they were going to be doing with it. Um, you didn't get to go to your mailbox in your PJs and, you know, have five applications waiting for you. So we had easy access to credit through credit cards. And then, um, you know, over the last 15 years, we've had such an array of ways to suck equity out of our homes to spend even more. Um, and so when you combine those two things um, on, on, one hand, it's been a little bit helpful in the sense that it's been able to give people a, a, a bit of a buffer in case something goes really, really wrong. But it's that benefit has just blown up into some kind of toxic mess um, as most people um, are living beyond their means. And I'm talking, I meet people who make $100,000 and are spending $130,000. I wow. meet, meet people who make a million dollars, but they're spending $1,300,000. They're in the same hole. They're wow. in debt. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting to me. Uh, you make a good point. You know, we always, everyone always kind of puts off happiness. You know, they're like, well, I'll be happy when I make a million dollars. I'll be happy when I make $2 million. I'll be happy when I make $3 million. I'll be happy when I get the job promotion. I'll be happy when I get the new job. I'll be happy when I, you know, achieve, you know, pick your, pick your uh, achievement in life, you know, whatever that next level is for you. And, you know, people put off that happiness, don't they? They do. And, what I wanted to understand was what are the factors that lead us to do this? Mm -hmm. And what I realized is that there are, are three core elements. One is personal small T traumas that happen before typically the age of 25. Mm -hmm. The second is social and cultural influences. And then the third are evolutionary biological influences. Mm. And if we have some time to parse apart each one of those three, it's really fascinating um, what is behind um, the phenomenon that you just perfectly described. There you go. My first guess was going to be stupidity, but let's get into these three <laughs> items. <laughs> well, so personal small t traumas. Um, one of the things that um, research has shown is that when you look at super successful people, a really large percentage of them are driven by things that happened to them before age 25 when the brain is, is fully formed that, you know, when you look at them on the outside, they may not seem like such a big deal, um, but they stick with you for a really long time. And I'll just give a personal example because this is what drove me. Mm -hmm. um, when I, I grew up in a small town in Indiana and I'm half Indian um, and my mom's from upstate New York, my dad's from India. And um, it, it was a time where there really weren't a lot of mixed race folks in my school. In fact, I don't think there were any. Um, and I was pretty chubby back then. And I had Coke bottle glasses. And um, I, I was not a cool kid, to put it mildly. And I was teased and bullied. The kids called me cow butt and thunder thighs. Wow. And 
Um, you know, it got to the point when I was in sixth grade that the teasing was so bad that I would leave school at lunch and I literally would sit under the picnic table at my home. My parents worked um, mm -hmm. because I just couldn't bear to go into the cafeteria and have um, kids making fun of me. And, wow. you know, so then I went to, you know, junior high, high school got focused on academics, things move on. But literally that, I'm for, I think I was 40 years old before I was able to describe that without having like this guttural feeling of um, not being enough as a human, not being mm -hmm. enough. And I think that really was a big factor in driving me to work seven days a week and mm -hmm. put in, you know, 60 plus hours. and my research leads me to show I'm not alone. Now, not everybody has small T traumas. The mix between those factors I told you will, will vary in percentage between people. But mm. a lot of people don't realize that stuffing down um, mm. things that may have happened and may seem so ridiculously small in retrospect that you think that can't be um, something that is still um, revving up my engine. But mm. for a lot of uh, people um, chasing after more, it, it is because it's, you don't feel enough as a human. Hi, folks. Here's Foz here with a little station break. Hope you're enjoying the show so far. We'll resume here in a second. Uh, I'd like to invite you to come to my coaching speaking and training courses website. You can also see our new podcast over there at chrisvossleadershipinstitute.com. Over there, you can find all the different stuff that we do for speaking engagements, if you'd like to hire me, uh, training courses that we offer, and coaching for leadership, management, entrepreneurism, uh, podcasting, corporate stuff. Uh, with over 35 years of experience in business and running companies as a CEO, and be sure to check out Chris Voss Leadership institute.com now back to the show yeah uh and, and so you're saying small t traumas so they're not like traumas like i don't know you watch your parents your batman you watch your parents die in an alley uh they're they're just like smaller ones well i mean any kind of trauma but i i feel that um you know it's acceptable i, I have a friend her parents died in a car wreck when she was 21 years old and she basically raised her sister and her whole world turned upside down yeah. and now that's trauma that's trauma um, yeah and she's still dealing with that um you know in in her mid 40s i think we understand when major trauma happens that that can affect people's lives for a very long time mm -hmm. um but what the, what I wanted to highlight is that it can also affect you even when it's something smaller. Yeah. Um, like one of your parents always putting you down or, um, you know, being in a family unit where, uh, you know, other siblings were praised and you were kind of ignored. I mean, mm -hmm. the, these kind of factors can lead you to, um, fall into this trap of intensely chasing after more, thinking that more going back will solve all your problems. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I grew up, I don't know if this is a small T trauma or one of the other, other, the other two categories, but uh, I grew up poor. Uh, 
And so I was trying to always make up for the way I was raised. I didn't blame my parents. They, they did the best they could. Uh, you know, and times were tough in the 70s. Um, and there was four children, and one was born with birth defects. So there was an issues there, you know, that, that blew through a lot of money. But um, I was always trying to reconcile that by being successful. And, and my dad struggled with his uh, his narcissism and and me not getting along with others at work, so uh, you know there was money issues, and so uh, you know we had welfare uh, food in the house. So I couldn't have my friends come over because you know they'd be like, "Oh, your parents are on welfare," and you know they weren't all the time, but no, no, no. And so I I I wanted to become successful, and then when I became rich and successful, I was like, "Is this all there is?" This is, I feel really soulless. I feel really lonely. Uh, I mean, I, I thought there would be something more here and there wasn't. So I don't know. Is that, is that a part of one of these uh, issues? Chris, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And, mm -hmm. and that would go in what I would call the small T trauma. And I uh -huh. put it in parens because it's not small T to those mm -hmm. of us who've experienced it. Mm -hmm. um, it's not. Um, but it, it's dramatically underestimated in its the longevity of its pain and how hard it can drive you to be mm -hmm. successful. Yeah, there you go. Uh, do we need to touch on the other two then? Oh, absolutely. So social and cultural um, focus uh, uh, factors are uh, gigantic as well. And there are a couple of them. One is that we have come in our society here in the US to really uh, equate what we do with who we are. And the most common example of this is, you know, you meet somebody and with, you know, one of the first two questions, um, maybe three is, what do you do? Um, uh, a couple experiments were done where people were put in social situations and they were not allowed to ask, what do you do? And it found it very uncomfortable to try and engage in conversation with people they did not know without mm. bringing this up. So, <laughs> I, I mean, from a and you know, from a young age, people ask you, you know, you know, what do you think you want to do when you grow up? They yeah. don't ask you like, what do you want to be? Do you want to be happy? <laughs> do you people are still asking me that at fifty-five. If, if when am I going to be when I grow up? So. <laughs> Well, and um, so, well, you're, you're someone who helps a ton of people by sharing all these powerful messages. So. Yeah, but I still live down by the river on, in the under a viaduct uh, in a boat or something. In a van? In a van down by the Yeah, that's it. That's the line. Van down by the well, I, that, and that brings me to another point, which is we um, uh, are comparing ourselves to false financial images. And by mm. this, I mean, whether it's in movies, magazines, Instagram, or my favorite regular old TV shows. Mm. Um, I added up, I, I picked a couple different, you know, medical dramas, legal dramas, um, and uh, police dramas. And if you, uh, and I'll just use a, a, a legal drama example right now. Uh, there's a show. Some people may know about it because of Meghan Markle. It's called Suits. Um, and when oh. it was on air, there was uh, a group of paralegals. And when you looked at them, and mind you, this show is supposed to take place in you know a, a major city like New York. Their hair was picture perfect, like no frizz. 
I'm sorry, New York has humid. No woman has no frizz unless she's had a blowout that morning. Their uh -huh. clothes were exquisite, clearly tailored, and you could tell the fabric was unbelievable. And then the images of them going out for the $15 cocktails with friends after drinks, and then going back to their apartments. Well, I've lived in New York, and let me tell you, when I was in my 20s in New York and early 30s, no one lived in apartments like that. And I was making good money working in finance. And so I decided to add up to see how much money you'd actually have to make to dress, groom, live, and socialize in that manner if you had those actual positions. And what I found was it's 30 to 50% more. So we're comparing ourselves constantly to these images that are not financially realistic. Mm -hmm. And so that's another thing that um, is driving us for this more, 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 because we're trying to keep up and then we get in debt trying to keep up and then we really do need to earn more. There you go. So, I, you know, a lot of our media does this to us. They, they, they kind of paint this, this, uh, uh, the word escaped me just now, but they, this, this whole sort of menagerie of stuff, even like, uh, what, what's the, we've, we had one of the husbands on the show, uh, the, the, the housewives of like yeah. Beverly Hills and yeah. you know, these housewife shows. And it, it's so funny how many of them have, they've had to file bankruptcy. Or I think there's one couple that is going to prison for not paying their taxes or scamming the IRS. Don't do that, people. Uh, you know, and you know, you hear about some of their things. I think there was one here in Utah that she was like supposed to be worth all this money, and I think now she's going to jail or she filed bankruptcy, and turns out like you know a lot of their stuff is kind of fake, and and yet people watch those shows and they're like, oh, I want to be like them. Yeah, and and you know what? Something else that I find really interesting. Um, when you and I were growing up, there was a show called Lifestyles of the Rich Famous. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I remember watching that and it just never occurred to me that like I was going to be like them. Um, it, I mean, there was like normal people and then there was the lifestyle of the rich and famous. And so growing up, I felt like we compared ourselves more horizontally to people who were living kind of like we were because people didn't, and if you wanted to buy a house, you had to put 20% down. So, and mm -hmm. the bank didn't give loans to just anyone. And so you tended to live in neighborhoods where people were making similar amounts of income. And so people weren't going off on these incredible vacations and you're wondering, well, how can they do that? I might as well do that. So, but what's happened is we now compare ourselves vertically because of the easy access to credit, but even more because of what we're seeing in um, Instagram, uh, all the social media feeds, um, the bombardment of um, ads for luxury goods and, um, you know, ho homes. I can't tell you how many people I know who strive for success and then end up with homes that have like three times as many bathrooms <laughs> as they have occupants. Yeah. Um, and then the toilets go dry and break and then you got to go get those fixed, you know? Oh, and so, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's these, these false, these false images that we are chasing after by comparing ourselves to a images that aren't real and B people who are in professions that pay varying amounts. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, three from a cultural standpoint is that I think we really have come to assess each other 
on completely the wrong metrics. We no longer assess each other on character and kindness mm -hmm. and humanity and, and how we treat each other and do we give back. It, we assess by, well, how successful are you? Yeah. Um, and that's, um, that's a really big change over the last 200 years of human life. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I think about cultural and societal reasons, there are many more I talk about in, in the book. Um, but those are some of the ones that I'd highlight. There you go. You know, you, you bring up some really good points and, you know, there's always kind of been the keeping up with the Joneses thing going on, but I think, uh, tell me what you think. I think Instagram has really maligned the concept of reality, success and money uh to a new generation or at least a one or two generations i guess it's been around for 15 years maybe but there's kind of a crossover there between millennials and gen z's coming into instagram but it's really maligned what reality is uh, am i wrong there is has instagram made it worse oh my god it's making it horrible <laughs> i mean yeah. you know and and i, I, I what what happens is uh, and we all know this, right? Like you take mm -hmm. 50 pictures um, and you use the one that is the best after you've filtered and you've cropped it just the right way. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I even think, you know, it started even as early as Facebook where, you know, families would post pictures from vacation, but it was like oh, yeah. the one at the end where they're all smiling on the beach together. And it's not the one where the kids are having a food fight or mom and dad are giving each other the silent treatment, like all the stuff that actually happens in a family vacation. Um, and what's so dangerous around Instagram is that we have all become our own magazine editors, our own curators. It's all like, brand. Our own, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And now, I mean, that's what people aspire to is to build their brand. And I'm not talking about, you know, people who are trying to make a business off their brand. I mean, kids, teenagers, young adults are trying to build their brand, mm -hmm. not build it, their character, build yeah. their brand. Yeah. And no one builds character anymore. That's, that's, uh, that's probably what, that's what you're writing about in your book. You know, people should maybe focus on being happier. That's what I did when I, when I found that I wasn't happy. I mean, everyone hated me and wanted me to, you know, wait, it's an old, it's an old sticks line, you know, is people love you as long as I'm buying drinks and whatever. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, the party was, as long as I was paying for the party go on, people love me, but even then they hated me. And, uh, and you're just like, I can't buy anyone's love. I can't buy anyone to like me. In fact, it seems like the more money I have, the more things I do, people, you know, I would go on dates and girls are like, when you have to have this big house, why do you have to have a BMW and, you know, one in Vegas? And you're just like, I don't know, I grew up poor. So I just do this to try and make up for some sort of hole. I don't really, I don't really care about impressing other people. I think I did care about impressing other people. I think I did. And then one day I saw Fight Club. And I broke. Um, but uh, what's interesting to me is how this new generation with Instagram and, and the mindset of what these people expect. You know, we've, we've talked about on the show these people that are, you know, influencers or brands. And, you know, the, down in L.A., you can go for like, I think, 60 bucks or something, 70 bucks. You can pay to sit in a, you look like you're sitting in a, a private jet and it's just a studio. It's just set up. You know, I'm it looks like, is like that not ridiculous? <laughs> it's ridiculous. But what's interesting is it's created such an expectation of wealth 
I see these interviews online of young women uh, from college students up and they'll interview them and go, what kind of guy are you looking for? How much does he need to make to facilitate you, you know, setting up a family and children, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, I don't know if you've seen these videos, but they're extraordinary to watch. These young women will be like, he needs to make like half a million dollars a year at like 25. And, um, you know, their, their stats, you can look on the, on the internet and there's these things called the, I don't know if you've heard of them. It's called the three sixes now. And it's something yeah. that women are looking for when you date. And one of them is a six figure income. The other is six foot taller and, and we'll just leave the third one off the deck there. You can figure <laughs> that one out. But there's literally women saying, if you don't have these three sixes, they won't date you or they'll refuse it. And the average guy I think makes in America 60 grand. I think it is. You might know better than I am since you're in the financial business. And, yeah, average and median um, yeah. have a little bit of differences, but on average, yeah. Yeah, and so you'll see these 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 women thinking that because of Instagram, there's these, these millionaires just running around, just rampant. You you know, they're just everywhere on the street. And you know, I I I there's a, there's different websites you can pull the numbers from uh, the U.S. Bureau of Statistics and stuff. But I'm like at if you go to a hundred thousand plus. You go to six foot tall and plus, and some of the other aspects. I don't. I, well, that's not measured by the government. But if you just use the two main metrics of the three sixes, I'm literally in the point zero zero five percentile of available men that available being single uh, that you can get. So the chances of of finding people like me is point zero zero five percent, which. So it, I don't know how I, that's going to work out for all these people. And it's not just young women. I was talking to um, a, a woman um, in uh, her uh, early 60s um, who was widowed. Um, and, you know, she was saying um, what she happened to have been reading a lot of um historical romance and then she'd gotten into more modern day romance and she was saying you know what Manisha like you know I'm reading these books and like you know these are my heroes and they're you know they're six foot four they're 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 wealthy they're handsome they've got you know the six-pack abs and she's basically like, oh. me right <laughs> and she says I look around I've never seen one of those men in real life <laughs> Oh, you know, you know, it, it, they've actually have graphs that you can see of what women have put into their dating apps and what their cutoffs are, you know, what their preferences are. And it, it, it literally, uh, until you hit about, I think it's five eleven, you literally can't get seen on a dating app unless you're five eleven or taller. I'm six, two, almost three. And uh, and it, it goes up, which is kind of, it's even extraordinary. It actually hits its highest peak about 6.6, 6.7. And you're like, how many 6.7 size men are running around this place? Um, and, but anyway, it's, it's, you know, and I, I'm not picking on women. I'm not, I, but I think both men and women have this dilution from Instagram, but it's just some good examples there of. Well, of, and that's uh, an intersection of small T trauma and social and cultural. So hmm. for example, I mean, if you take a look. And there's a stereotype at, because it's real. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess it's not a stereotype of like the short, crazy, successful man. And 
He's got the quote Napoleonic complex, right? Making up for some. Yeah. And then you see these really, you know, um, these really tall guys oftentimes and they walk in a room and people immediately assume power, success. And That's so me when I walk in, yeah. <laughs> it, again, we, we have all of these different factors that come into play. But in defensive women, I have to tell you that I have been noticing increasing number of, of women. Um, uh, uh, this successful women telling me that they um, have uh, found men who are looking for sugar mamas the second go around. They've got alimony and, you know, in the divorce, they lost half their assets. And now what they want is a, uh, you know, a partner in a consulting firm. And, uh, and uh, they want the woman to be making that five, you know, that six figure income. So um, it really does go. Uh, in a variety of directions. I was talking about, you know, there's kind of some interesting things. If you study what's going on with men in college and women in college, like I think there's fewer men going to college than women now. And I know women, you know, they, when women set up in their hypergamous, they, women date up, men date down. That's typically how we work. I, I learned this lesson in high school when I wanted to date all the girls who were in my, uh, you know, junior, senior so software, whatever that whole thing with freshman class. Um, but, but they're like, no, and we're dating senior Bob or, you know, whatever. And cause you know, Bob's got a car and you know, he's got stuff going on. Women have always dated up and, um, and that helps the species. It's a feature, not a bug. And, um, uh, the propagation of the species and uh but now you know with women with with less men going to uh college uh than women that means there's a smaller pool of men for them and you know like you mentioned there's a lot of women today that are out earning men because they're going to college and stuff uh in fact there's a projection from i think it's goldman sachs or one of the other big venture capitalist firms that say by 2030 45 percent of childbearing age family you know creating age will be single and alone with no prospects on the thing by 2030 in in uh in either london or uh britain or the eu that's already now 50 percent in fact i think it's 55 where um, there are women above 30 who have no children and no husbands and they're past technically what should be the the prime cutoff about 30 for having children at least safely and healthy wise. I mean, you can still have a healthy child, but you're just gambling with stuff. But, uh, and so it's kind of interesting that dynamic. I was talking about one of my friends, she's got some, I guess she's got money. I don't know. Uh, but I think she's successful uh, probably from, an, I think from either a divorce or maybe she inherited it, but, uh, she was talking to me about this and we were joking about, you know, masculine frame and, 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 you know, my dating and stuff. And she goes, yeah, I, there's these sugar guys now that they want a sugar mama. And I'm like, really? That's crazy. Well, and you know, you mentioned a word that I thought was really, so that triggered uh, a thought in my mind when you were talking about kind of, you know, the, the, there are certain biological destiny elements such as, you know, height and so forth. Um, but if we moved on to that third factor of the book, uh, that really uh, got me thinking about what drives people to have a, a never enough um, mindset. Something interesting has happened. If you threw either one of us 250 years ago into the woods, 
likely we would be able to figure out how to survive on our own for a couple days. And certainly we would, if we had a tribe of people with us, we'd absolutely be able to make it work in off the land. But today, how many of us can do that? So money has become the, the literal um, item that brings us safety. So our amygdalas in our head that want to keep us safe oh. no longer are thinking, wow, I've got to learn these skills. Um, our amygdala is thinking, I got to have money. Um, and that's, uh, it's understandable, right? You can't buy mm -hmm. groceries. You can't get a roof over your head. Um, and so the other thing that's interesting going back is <clears throat> back when we lived off the land, we, you know, people lived in area, uh, seasons of feast and famine. And so when you had feast, you ate as much as you could during those seasons because there would also be sparse seasons. But mm -hmm. the problem is today we live in plenty. Mm -hmm. um, and so we are constantly feasting. We're constant, like our, our brain is hardwired when we see plenty to want to grab as much. And mm -hmm. um, now we are. <laughs> There you go. I, it, my friend refers to it in dieting because I, I lost a lot of weight with this concept. But we we live we eat for a winter that never comes because, like you mentioned earlier, you know we would eat a lot during the summer because <clears throat> we could harvest and you know find stuff to kill and eat and stuff. But then when winter comes, you know you can't harvest very well and grow wheat or whatever, and you can't you know it's harder to track down animals and stuff and cavemen sort of speak. Um, and so we would, you know, we'd thin out over the winter, but now we live in 70 degrees all the time. Like you say, you know, you know, we, we have to do our hunting down at the grocery store there, eh? Well, and you get blueberries year round, so you can, uh, yeah. eat them whenever you want. And, um, but it's, it's, it's interesting. Those are the things that I found really drove this. And then I tried to figure out like, well, okay, this sucks. Um, what do we do about it? Like, how do we, how, how can we let go of this way of thinking? And, you know, you asked me at the very beginning why I, I wrote this. And a big part of it was when I had that realization of basically having lost so many years of my adulthood to working like a maniac, um, I also realized I had come to equate my self-worth with my net worth. Ah. Oh, I mean, that is, if that's not a recipe for just never feeling like you've, you've arrived there, um, or hitting the number, you know, you, you hit 1 million in net worth and five then 10 and everyone else is thinking, holy cow, this person is successful. And you're like, you know, no, that's not enough. I need to earn more. Um, and so self the, the the book and also the thing that I worry about and I want to help people with is if you have and not everybody does but if you have in your head the thought that my self-worth equals my net worth I want to help people flip that and have a new equation that they're optimizing to live their life which is financial health plus emotional wealth is ah. what gives you money Zen mm -hmm. So you can have emotional well-being 
it's probably worth more than money because you know like like i say i mean you know you're not gonna i i'm at the age of 55 where i'm starting to look back on my life and go what the fuck did i do wrong no i'm just kidding um but uh, i'm starting to look back on my life and there are things that i remember my dogs that passed through my life uh people that may have passed through my life that aren't here anymore uh experiences that i had that had some emotional value to them and and to me i i just start feeling like when i'm sitting on that uh, porch you know i don't know with the mental home which i should be anyway my psychiatrist says and you know i'm sitting there rocking back and forth and drooling down the side of my mouth the the uh the, the one thing i'm gonna remember are those moments i'm not gonna remember like how much did i make in january of 1993 like i don't know there might be some other months I want to remember, but you know, it's, it's, I'm not going to remember that. I'm not going to be like, Oh damn, that was really cool. I'll be remembering, you know, the, uh, hopefully the beautiful times in my life. Maybe, I don't know, or the times I screwed up. <laughs> you know, I, um, have had two near death experiences due to illness. One of wow. them, um, I had been writing on with my ex-husband, um, on the back of his motorcycle two up in motorcycle parlance off road through Laos. Um, oh. And uh, I got bit by an infected mosquito and got dengue fever oh. and a whole series of complications. Um, normally dengue fevers like malaria, there's, you know, mm -hmm. it, 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 most people are get, get over it with time. But I, I ended up having a whole series of unexpected complications. Uh, complications and there was a point at which i'm in the hospital and the doctor's like we we need to call your family in because this this could wow. be and i remember um it still makes me tear up i remember like quite literally thinking at that moment holy crap it's completely true you don't think i wish i had worked more had more stuff had more money you you think back to the things that um I, what's interesting to me was i thought i wish i had spent more time with my family and then i think about the key moments in life um that i missed several big ones for people i love and family because i put work ahead of them Wow. That's what I thought as I was sitting there, not knowing over a 24, 48 hour period, whether that was going to be it. Mm. Um, and so you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. I, and you know, COVID kind of brought us kind of to that brink too. Mm -hmm. Like I had to sit down over COVID and go, well, this is something that can take someone I love, my mother yeah. and my sisters, uh, away from me in a moment's notice. I mean, and you couldn't even go to their funeral. I mean, first you couldn't go right. to people's funeral, and you couldn't even go see them off in the hospital, uh, which was, you know, horrifying. And then, you know, I you sat down and you're just like, well, shit, like the cars and all this kind of crap doesn't mean anything. Because, I mean, I could be dead, they could be dead, and I, what the fuck is going on? And it, it, you know, I think a lot of people had to reevaluate their values. And some of us need to go learn some books on how to pronunciate shit. Um, but, you know, it seems like we come out of it now. We're just all like back to the same shit. We're like, buy shit and do shit. Ah. Well, yeah. and that's why I think it's so important mm. to have a new mental model. Because if, you know, people for so long were encouraged by just our culture to seek financial 
wealth. And as I said earlier, each one of us will be driven towards it by different factors in different elements, whether it's the small T traumas or the cultural and social or the evolutionary biological. But the, the problem is there is nothing in society that is telling us um, what a, uh, um, what a, a, a healthier way to look at things um, mm. would be. And so we chase financial wealth, um, but m the vast majority of Americans don't have even financial health. And so getting your financial state it, into a place um, of just true health then enables you to have the mental um, freedom to be able to spend time on some of these activities that enhance your um, emotional wealth, um, which literally are priceless. And then you can come back. I mean, some people, some people really like money. Nothing wrong with that. Um, it's just when it comes at the expense of your uh, emotional wealth, it doesn't mean anything. There you go. Or the expense of spending time with your family, your loved ones. Uh, you know, I, I used to shush my dogs and be like, Hey, you can't bother me right now. I can't play there right now. That's going to make some money. And, uh, and then, you know, they, they pass through your life fairly quickly and, uh, you realize you're like, shit, you know, I, w I wish we would have spent more time with them. You know, uh, one thing I was going to say. Oh, that's emotional wealth, Chris. That's exactly mm -hmm. what I'm referring to when I say emotional wealth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now I just, I just force them to go get jobs so that <laughs> I don't, I can spend more time with them because that we have more money. Uh, <laughs> I rent them out to pull sleds. They're huskies. Uh, one thing I was going to mention to you, I don't know if you've seen this, but it's an interesting trend. Um, you know, I have a big PayPal account. Of course, we do a lot of business with that. And then I noticed this on, I think it was Amazon. I was buying something one day and I was buying like a $400 water purifier thing. And it popped up. It's like, hey, there's, I think it was, what is it called? There's a couple of them now. I think one was called a firm, I think. And then there's PayPal credit. And it's like, hey, do you want to buy this to your credit thing? I'm like, not really. But I was like, what are these things? I'm like, I've never seen like these little sort of, weird small teeny loan micro loans sort of thing, micro loans right? and uh so <laughs> like looking at them and i guess i get the cookies now right <clears throat> so i started noticing that i was getting these vacation things from vrbo i think it is they're the competitors to yep. the other Airbnb. place mm -hmm. yeah and they're like hey do you want to do you want to put that uh thailand vacation or you know pick your vacation wherever in the world you want to put that uh you want to put that on your uh, on your uh, credit thing? You want to you want to take a credit small credit loan to do your vacation? And I'm like, wait, you know, vacation was used to be in the old days when you and I grew up. I think uh, where you know that was you know mom and dad saved up all year long, and you know then they got some money to blow at Disneyland, right? Exactly. <laughs> People are going to take out loans. So they got to make payments on to go on vacation. Well, you know, and I bet you know. People in their 20s, 30s, 40s listening to this um, probably haven't heard about layaway. But, you know, when our parents were growing yeah. up and yeah. you didn't have money for something and you wanted um, a particular item to, to buy as a gift for yourself or a holiday gift for someone in your family and you didn't have money for it, you put it on layaway. You mm -hmm. did not get it. And, mm -hmm. you know, you made small payments um, until you would paid it off, but you didn't get it until you paid mm -hmm. it off. Um yeah, yeah. 
I think I have a wife that's uh, I have on Lowy right now. I'm making payments to, and then uh, I once I get it paid off, then I can marry her or something. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Seemed like a good joke at the time. Uh, so, anything more you want to tease out? <laughs> anything more you want to tease out of the book before we go? Yeah, you know, a, a lot of people will say, like, no, no, I'm fine. I, I don't have any of these problems, Manisha. And so mm. I, I want to encourage people. Um, I've created a quiz, and you can find it at moneyzenquiz.com. And it's a series of seven simple questions. But I think a lot of people will be surprised um, uh, where they fall on the spectrum um, mm. between financial health and emotional wealth. And, and again, it's moneyzenquiz.com. And it's, it's fascinating. So if you think what we've just been talking about does not relate to you, um, check it out. And if you think it does relate to you, check it out because you can see um, how far down the spectrum you are um, and uh, what are some of the steps that you can start taking? There you go. I, you know, I, I learned that the hard way. I went from being poor to having money and, and buying everything I possibly could. And uh, I set up my home as a, as a giant sort of arcade, <laughs> being a single guy, uh, you know, and, and I bought all the stuff that I kind of wanted. And, and I was the most unhappy I've ever been in my life. <laughs> And, and it's that it's that famous line from uh what was it fight club you know the the things you own end up owning you yes yeah yes. mark stewart uh it's a line from face from fight club <laughs> you know why do why, why do men have to know what a duvet is like why is you know and the guy's like i i was living basically that life of of uh ed norton in in uh, fight club where it's like okay i got all the things and I, I've set myself up, and I know that you know that that uh, three part couch is, you know, that's taken care of now, you know. And then I'd have girls you know, come over to my house and be like, uh, "Yeah, this is all going to go because this isn't my style." <laughs> I, on this this note, I just want to say, um, I have been blessed all of those years of crazy workaholism. Um, and because I happen to work in the financial services industry, I've, I have done well financially. And um, I have lived in a number of beautiful places. I have a lovely mm -hmm. place in Portland, Oregon. But I'm talking to you right now from my cabin in rural Maine. It is mm -hmm. 550 square feet. 550 mm -hmm. square feet. It was built in 1915. I do not have potable water. I do not have a heater or an air conditioner. Um, really? And I, I don't, I, I am so happy here. They call these camps um, in Maine mm -hmm. lingo along lakes. And I literally am, I live five feet from a lake and oh, wow. I, I spend the summers out here and it's just incredible because my life is so simple there you go um, who are you hiding from what authorities no i'm just kidding <laughs> can you get the lobster out there uh oh uh, my gosh absolutely oh man wow yeah maine is really beautiful really beautiful uh countryside and then i if i lived there i would just eat endless lobster it's kind of like if i ever moved to texas i would just end up being 500 pounds gorging on barbecue all day long and so those are two states i can't move to um, if I moved to California, of course, I would just live on tofu and be 500 pounds. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. 
don't know. Uh, California's a lovely place. Uh, but no, it's beautiful. And if I moved to Portland, I think I'd be eating those, uh, what are those voodoo donuts? Is that where they have them? Uh, no, you know what? Don't go to voodoo donuts. Go to cocoa donuts. They are ah. like the best. Um, that that's where the real insiders go for their donuts. Ah, there you go. There you go. Well, there we have it, folks. Um, so uh thank you very much for coming to the show. We really appreciate it. Very insightful and brilliant discussion. And and people need to find uh people need to find their money zen, as it were. Uh give us your dot com so people can find you on the interwebs, please. Sure. So you can find me at moneyzen.com. And all my socials and links and all that kind of good stuff is right there. And again, if this conversation has piqued your interest, I encourage people to go to moneysandquiz.com and kind of see where you fall on the spectrum. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of the childhood traumas too, like we talked about, you know, I mean, some people just had parents that were like, Hey, we, we don't have enough money for that when, you know, they were trying to get their mom to buy a Snickers bar or something might've been me at the thing, you know, we don't have enough money. And she would give you that excuse. She didn't, she had the money. She was just holding out on you because she didn't love you. We all know that, but, uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, people took that and that paradigm and incorporate in their life. Well, we never have enough money for what we want. And, you know, it's, there's all sorts of things that go into people's uh, mental money hangups, I guess, as it were. So there you go. Uh, folks, order up the book wherever fine books are sold. Uh, stay away as alleyway bookstores because you, you know, you might, you might get, uh, you know, you need a tetanus shot there, eh? It's uh, dangerous in those subway ones. Uh, money Zen, the secret to finding your quote unquote enough. Uh, thanks to my honest for tuning in. Uh, go to goodreads.com for chess Chris Foss, youtube.com for chess Chris Foss, linkedin.com for chess Chris Foss, and all those crazy places on the internet. And uh, try and help us out over there on the TikTok. We're trying to be cool. It's not working because we're, we're just old and not fun and interesting anymore. But thanks for being here. We certainly appreciate you. See you 